ahead now say now you're tuned into the wake up and win podcast and i am your host devon pouncey we are here at the momentum studios myself spencer shea hello we're back at it chilling another one highly connected today it's it's going in we're going in for sure I'm feeling that way i think it'll be a good one uh-huh let's start off with win shares per usual this week i will be on the call tonight january 11th it'll be portland state university basketball taking place you all should definitely pull up if you are here in portland it will be at the viking pavilion 7 p.m tip-off would love to see you there i'm also back there on the 13th so that'll be a 4 p.m tip-off a little bit of a change this season it'll be 4 p.m. tip-offs on Saturday during Big Sky Conference play. Thursday, they play against Idaho State. It'll be a good one. And then Saturday, certainly an exciting one. It'll be against Weber State. They're a good team, um, a team that is is expected to do big things this season in Big Sky Conference play. Um, They got a baller over there by the name of Dylan Jones. Of course, Damian Lillard's alma mater there for those of you that like to connect that here in Rip City. Um, but Portland State's a good team this year, too, man. They've gotten off to a record start in terms of success this season. Uh, they're currently sitting at 1-1 one and one in conference play. So a fun team to watch, an exciting team to watch, a team that's got off to a hot start this year. And now, here we go, Big it's Scott Conference play. Yeah. So 7 p.m. tip-off Thursday, J- January 11th, and 4 p.m. tip-off on Saturday, both at the Viking Pavilion, here myself as the TV analyst alongside Matt Rickard, who will be the play-by-play on ESPN Plus for both of those games. And, of course, the Rip City Remix are back here Shout out. in Rip City. We play on Sunday and Monday, so January 14th, we play at 3 p.m. And then January 15th, which is Monday, Martin Luther King Day, we play at 3 p.m. as well. Both games will be against OKC Blue. So excited to have a full slate of uh, calling basketball this weekend. It's what I love to do. And it's my favorite part of the year for sure in terms of being able to, you know, call these games and be a broadcaster in like full swing where like it's just hot for the next few months. And so I'm excited about that. Um, and yeah, so tune in, check us out. Also, DJing at Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge on Saturday, January 13th as well, 9 p.m. until midnight. And then January 12th just so happens to be a special day, which is Friday, because that's my birthday. So I'm just going to be doing whatever I'm doing on Friday. But uh, (laughs) the rest of the day surrounding it, (laughs) y'all know what to tap into, who to tap in with, of course. Um, You know, I'll appreciate the love this weekend as well that comes my way because it's my birthday. And so, you know, 30 was a good year for me, man. 30 was definitely a good year. Um, A lot of great things happened and and was able to just – expand in a lot of ways in regards to what it is that I do and what it is that I've been doing for a while. Um, And, you know, they say the 30s are your best, man. And like I said, it's hard for me to disagree based on how year 30 went. So I'm grateful for it and grateful for how things went and, and how things went, excuse me. And I'm expecting more of the same in year 31. 30 is the Curry year. And so I came out sniping from distance. Well, guess what? 
we still going to be sniping because 31 is the Reggie Miller year. So <laughs> keep, don't expect me to go away from being a shooter in year 31 and showing you that I can knock him down because that's what it is. I'm going out of my Curry year, but the still flame Reggie is still Miller. lit because I'm going into my Reggie Miller year. And mm-hmm. as you know, shooters shoot. So I'm going from one great to the next, and they both shoot that thing well. Um, you got anything, win shares-wise? Uh, you know, we're just still calling games down at Pacific. It's yeah. you know, conference play there. So got a, a couple of weeks off, which is good. For sure. Um, you know, I'm doing some photo shoot work and uh, just I'm, I'm um, probably going to start performing a little bit. I think Uh-oh. like on some, pri- like on some, like on some private stuff. It okay? sounds it sound good. It's a birthday. It's a birthday party that I'm probably going to, I'm going to show up and play some for. Okay. And, uh, okay. And that's a, you know, that's a private thing. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. But we'll see how it goes, bro. We'll see how it goes. You'll man. fall back in love with it. You know, I never I never fell out of it. But I know, but man, you know what I mean? The performance aspect of it, I think, is is what I mean is you'll fall back in love with being able to just be back out there and performing. Yeah. I, you know, and I, doing the podcast and it's cool because we've been doing this podcast for some years. For sure. And so it doesn't really feel these days more like oh i'm doing something performative with a microphone on my face it's like i just go kick it with my homie and we talk every week for sure and um so it so it kind of lost its luster i mean it's still good you know reps yeah 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 calling games man like you you know know how it is especially calling so many you're calling so many it's like every night you have to just be tapped into this like flow state of following the game and, and trying to be creative and and still be like you know analytical at the same time it, it's such a great exercise for like the mind yeah and like for performance you it know? keeps you on point it keeps you yeah. sharp you it's have great. to you know what i mean it, yeah. it keeps you reactionary mm-hmm. it, it, it does a lot for you so and it, and it keeps you thinking about like how you look at like like being having showing grace and like objectivity and like care and like real thoughtfulness to what you're seeing in the world like, yeah about other people for it's sure. very it's a very cool thing. Man. No, no, man. I love it. I, like I said, this is my favorite part of the year as a professional. And obviously I do more than one thing in that regard, but broadcasting is, is my meat and potatoes in terms of all the things that it is that I do. Like that's, you know, I, I, I've been on that journey for a long time now and it's a journey that that's been a fruitful one. And, and the, the flame never died. You know what I mean? Like the passion has always been there. It's still there. And, and I still feel that there's so much more room to grow. Um, so this is definitely like professionally my favorite time of year. I still get to DJ some, but it's not as, DJ loaded of a season for me because I have too many schedule conflicts and I always try to give priority to broadcasting because of how seasonal it is. I DJ year round and obviously I still, you know, get as many DJ gigs as I can in during this time of year as well. But because I know, you know, it's only a few month window that broadcast season is going to be at its peak. Yeah, I do football where I might have a game every other week and you know what I'm saying? I might have to, you know, call the game during the day, but it doesn't really impact me going out and still being able to DJ at night. It's not too many night games in college football. I mean, at least so far, I haven't had to call too many night games in college football. But right now, where I got multiple teams that I'm calling games for, and they're in, you know, the the busiest part of their seasons being in conference play or now, you know, in regular season mode for the G League, who have finished the showcase showcase cup season. So now it's like the regular season is actually in full effect. Like 
I love it, man. I love it, and 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 I'm glad to to be back at that part of the How year. How many here games right now. are in the like the regular season portion of the season? So you have 32. Um, it's basically 48 games 48 total. Games total. You do like the 16 cup games, and then 32 regular season games, and then there's a postseason as well. So. Um, yeah, it's a lot more remix basketball coming your way here, Rip City, and I'm excited to be a part of that. In fact, I, I actually forgot one more win share, and this is a potential win, win share, but I, I think things are looking on the up and up based on the information that I got today. Um, so because y'all are the faithful, loyal, and loving listeners that you all are of this podcast – I'll go out there and say it on this platform until I can obviously promote it on other platforms. But January 17th, the Portland Trailblazers will face off against the Brooklyn Nets. And at these games, they do theme nights. And so even, for example, our game against OKC Blue on on Monday, and really we're just going to kind of use the theme for the weekend, is that it's MLK weekend. So that's what the theme is this weekend for the Rip City Remix games. Now, for the Portland Trailblazer game on January 17th, it'll be Remix Night. So that'll be the theme for that particular game. And, uh, what are you about to say, bro? I mean, let me let me you gotta <laughs> let it build. You gotta <laughs> let the beat build, on, baby. Lil Wayne said it best. Excited, bro. You gotta let the beat build, baby. Uh, come on, man. So, um, there's a high chance that I will be joining the Portland Trailblazer TV broadcast for pregame and periodically throughout that Portland Trailblazer game. Um, and I'm excited about that, that's obviously. What I, that's what I wanted to hear, man. <laughs> that's what I wanted to hear. Bro. I'm excited about that, come on. obviously. That's like a dream come true scenario for me to be able to put on a headset for an NBA game in any capacity. Um, but to be able to do it alongside – Kevin Calabro, who's, I'd say, top five all time play by play. when Easy it comes call. to play-by-play. Play. Like, like NBA play-by-play play in particular, like, there's not many that can top Kevin Calabro. And then Lamar Hurd, who I think is the best team analyst in all of the NBA today. Like, Lamar Hurd is elite um, as, as a broadcast analyst. And to even be able to kind of be in that lineage now, if you will, with me being the broadcast analyst for the G League affiliate, the Rip City Remix, Lamar is super cool and has embraced me since getting that job as well. Um, I, I'm super excited to be able to join those two on the broadcast. Like I said, pregame, and I still don't know the full-on script yet, but they said there will be a moment during the game as well that I'll be on the call with them, obviously talking remix basketball, but it'll be Blazer basketball happening right in front of us bro, I know as we discuss jump. it. I, so I already know it, you, It'll bro. be a good time, man. I already man. know you, bro. <laughs> no, look, I already know you. You're going you're gonna to be eyeing the game, answering yeah. questions, and somebody's going to – I know what you're going to do. You're going to call like, ooh, wee, and you're going to hit him with something, bro. You got to. I would, I would do the same thing. I I'm just telling y'all to tune in. You know what I'm saying? Well, you never <laughs> you know. You never know what These happen, things are hard to predict, but if you want to – find out I'm probably, it'll oh, be no, I'm pretty sure on root sports on tuesday uh i mean That's, uh, that is sick wednesday bro. excuse me that is sick, yeah wednesday man. that is the 17th and so uh yeah it, it, it's it's exciting they, i'm excited uh, about that opportunity obviously support remix night i'm excited for you know our our entire organization to be able to be celebrated um for being able to pull off what is currently the inaugural season of rip city remix basketball so it's going to be super dope to just be a part of that that whole 
production to be a part of this history. I, I still don't, you know, shy away from, you know, the fact that I do think it's a big deal for me individually to be a part of history in this way as the first ever broadcast analyst for the Rip City remix. So we're celebrating history, man, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Man, how do you think I feel, bro? This is my childhood team. You're one of my best <laughs> friends, bro. I'm like feeling like some type of way about like there's going to be a, a level of representation of myself sitting there. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for just doing that, man. For and, sure. Uh, I will for say sure. this, though. I mean, those guys put some ensembles together. Like they come pretty dipped. They're, yeah, and the no, camera, I got, I, yeah, and the yeah, camera yeah, is gonna yeah. be like they. Yeah, Kevin Calabro and Lamar Lamar, both of them. They are come fly. Dress gentlemen, they, right no, there. I got some designer okay. sitting in the closet. Don't worry See, about you're it. Have to come. I got some. I got some. I got some sitting in the closet. Okay. Don't worry about it. Right. I can't wait. But, man. but yeah, man, sick. it's gonna be dope, man. I'm excited about January it. January what? January 17th, Brooklyn 17th. Nets game. Right. It'll be right on Root Sports. And so, uh, yeah, tune in or wherever else you watch NBA games because I know y'all got y'all ways about I'm how. I'm not saying anything. Everybody has their ways. I see you know the what game. I'm saying? I see the games. I, I can see Everybody the has their ways in how it is that they watch the game. Um, so this morning, I call Spencer up and I'm like, what are we talking about today? And well, we didn't really have much. And as well, the day I mean, by way of like everything else outside of Pacific University basketball, for sure, for sure. But you know exactly, which usually we discuss that in win shares anyway. So that is what it is. There, um, called the double overtime thriller last night. It was great. Now, as far as the more I guess mainstream news cycle is concerned, mm-hmm. um, we had nothing. We really didn't have <laughs> we anything. Didn't have anything. And then. You get Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll of 14 years gets let go as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And then, boom, what happens after that? Nick Saban decides to retire as the head coach of Alabama. Arguably the greatest college football coach to exist is Nick Saban. He decides to retire. Both these things happen on the same day. Obviously, it's football, college, and NFL, but we'll kind of bleed the two together a little bit here. Um, starting with Pete Carroll, obviously here in the Pacific Northwest, Pete Carroll is somebody who's also in that conversation of elites when it comes to being a college football coach with what he did at USC. I mean, having guys like Reggie, but like he just he's one of them when it comes to college football in particular, made his way over to Seattle, coached there for 14 years. We saw some great things from Seattle. He's got a Super Bowl over there, went to another one, um, has had one of the most storied franchises, you know, in the in the for a while in a while in the NFL, you think of Russell Wilson, you think of Marshawn Lynch, you think of Richard Sherman, you think of Legion of Boom, you just think of all of that. Like that was all during this Pete Carroll era. Um, but I'm not at all surprised because I do think that it's time to put that era to rest <laughs> for the Seattle Seahawks and 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 basically just come anew. Um, Zeb, you are our resident Seahawks guy over there. Yeah. A, a big NFL fan, the biggest NFL fan definitely that is in this building right now. But first off, I want to know your reactions to Pete Carroll leaving and do you tend to agree with the time was coming, it just so happened to be today. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly it. I think it was only a matter of time. Um, I said after the game on Sunday that 
I was about 75 to 80% sure that that was his last game as the Seahawks coach. Mm. Um, so I'm not surprised. I, you know, it was sad to see him go. He is the winningest coach in Seahawks history. He won me over. I wasn't a fan of the hiring at first. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know what he brought to the, to the table as a professional head football coach. Cause he'd had struggles doing that in, in his career. Um, but you know, people said that he wasn't going to be able his rah rah style of coaching wasn't going to translate to the league. Right, and when it worked, it worked, and it's <laughs> yeah. it's pretty plainly obvious. So For sure, sad to see him go, but definitely uh, change is exciting. You know, so I'm excited to see what happens next. I mean, I I just hope that you know, talking about putting to rest, I just hope Pete Carroll gets some sleep. Man, the man is 72 <laughs> years old, and he's been. <laughs> Doing jumping jacks on the sideline of football games for his entire life, basically. It's like, it's good, man. Yeah. Because yeah. when you said, Zeb, like, when it worked, it worked. Like, it also worked in, like, historically entertaining fashion. Totally. You know what I yep. mean? And that and that's where I'm going to, like, because, I mean, I've always been an impartial sort of indifferent Seahawks guy in general. But, I mean, it, it's you're talking about, you said winning me over. Like, dude, that's kind of like what he does, ultimately, you know? Yeah. He's the type of dude that it's like if he was your grandpa, you'd be like, you know, he's, he's kind of – you love the guy. He's a nice guy. You know, if he's a neighbor, he's a nice guy. And he wins football games. So can't be mad at that. Well, I, I, I think we all tend to agree there, but I do think there's a through line in regards to – Pete Carroll and Nick Saban, because you mentioned that Pete Carroll is 72 years old. Well, Nick Saban is also 72 years old. And he decided to retire today from the University of Alabama. And – that is a little bit more shocking to me than Pete Carroll, per se, because Alabama is still at the top of its game in terms of they were a college football playoff team this year. It's not like they've had a significant drop-off from being the absolute best that college football has had to offer for quite some time. But even if they aren't at the tip-top, they're right there. They're near. They made it that far. But I also just think in terms of just the overall direction that college football is going, Nick Saban has kind of aged out, especially when you consider the NIL, yeah. especially when you consider how the business is is transforming when it comes to NCAA football and the fact that he is at Alabama where he's probably seeing the effects of that more than any college head football coach in the country, which also probably goes totally against anything he's ever been about on his way to having this success for those benefits to be reaped by way of this program. I think it was an interesting crossroads there for, for Saban individually understanding that what I did is what allows these guys to be able to inherit, if you will, the the fruits of the NIL and being able to receive more and being able to get paid for their likeness and things like that. But at the same time, that's not the particular way that I got them here. So now you have this clash of sticking to who I am and who I've always been and attempting to adapt to what it is that's going on or just walking it on into the sunset and being able to just stay the Nick Saban that I've always wanted to be and that I've always been and not really get caught up in maybe some things that I don't particularly align with when it comes to the transformation of the sport at large. Well, he's certainly not going to make as much money as he did, but you know, (laughs) he's 72 years old. Also, he's made a lot. You know, it's like, dude, I, 
I don't know because I don't necessarily, you know, care too much about um, Nick Saban's opinions about NIL. Um, but I would imagine that he doesn't – he's not able to recruit as well. You, but you, I, the, only, the only thing that I really had an issue with when I was looking at that was that $120 million. I'm like, come on. And, and I would, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, come on, bro. And like, you can't, I'm not going to sit here as a, as a, you know, somebody from the outside being like, oh, oh, are you mad that like no one wants to come to your school anymore? You made all this money. You, you're still good. It's not like you're not going to win. I think that he's just mad that he's not going to make as much money and he can't recruit anymore. And he's like, I might as well just take my quote unquote $120 million and, that's where, and just bounce now before I start looking like a dinosaur. And that's why I a little bit disagree because he can recruit better than he's ever been able to recruit before with all the tools that he already has with Alabama. If he does indeed embrace what NIL is intended to do. What the, like what like Jim Harbaugh was saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like if, what Jim Harbaugh it, was saying? Yeah, basically? yeah. Like if he actually would have embraced the NIL, oh, I think he could have recruited as good as anybody in the country because he already has the best product worth selling. And, that, and that's so. That's the question: Is it a Nick Saban product, or or is it enough to be an uh, enough of an Alabama product where his departure is going to still fuel? successes that he's seen in his tenure. I think as of right now, today, you can't detach the two. Only time will tell otherwise. But because Nick Saban has been as elite of a head football coach and has had as much success as he's had as the Alabama head football coach, I I think that has that theory has to be proven. Will Alabama stay the same? Because he's a damn good coach, too. We yeah, can't I mean, not yeah, no, acknowledge good. that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, will it be a situation of, of Brady and Belichick where Brady was able to move on, win another championship, and kind of elevate his name in a, in a particular way that, that was different than he only won with Belichick alongside him? Is it, you know what I'm saying? Like, is Alabama now the Brady who's become the powerhouse of college football as a football program. Are they now the Brady or, you know, no man, Bel- is he, the, you no, know man, what I mean? Like Saban's, it's Saban's the Brady. And that's if my, anything, but that's the point I'm getting at. Let me show them. And that's what I'm getting at right here. I think Saban is more of the Brady, or at least he feels that he's more of the Brady than he is the Belichick, yeah. which is a reverse role because he's the actual coach. And I don't think that you can detach Alabama today from Saban until we have something to show for it, which would be if Alabama continues to have success at this high of a rate or nearly as at this high of a rate once Nick Saban is gone. Only time will be able to prove that the same way time was able to prove that Tom Brady can go win a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick as his head coach. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see. But right now, today, it's hard for me not to imagine that Saban's ego isn't that of I am Alabama football. And, of course. You know what I'm you saying? And, 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 and I'm not particularly uh-huh. saying that in a negative sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that he has been Alabama football for quite some time, which is why this is such a big deal. And the way that things are going, and like I said, whether he already had created, like I said, you should be able to sit, package that up and sell it as good as anything that college football has to offer. But – I don't think that he particularly wants to package things that way because it might go against who Nick Saban has been that has gotten this college football program to being as successful as it is to date. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's just 
Who are it's they a new day. It's a new yeah, day, and man. The old guard needs to bounce. But, it's a new day, and, and that's okay. You know what I mean? Hey, dude, thanks for the memories. But uh, who do you think's gonna? I know, I know, I know. These Oregonians are scared right now. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, that's what I've been seeing. A lot of that chatter. I know these Oregonians are scared right now. Is obviously Dan Lanning, who's been doing a heck of a job as Oregon's head coach, who already has won a, a national championship as a defensive coordinator at Georgia. And so he's very familiar with SEC football and how to navigate SEC football. Came from the SEC, has proven to be a great head coach as well here in the Pac-12 at the University of Oregon. And so I would be scared, too, if I'm Oregon Ducks fans, that Lanning might go swoop up that job, especially with the history that Oregon sports fans have with their head coaches having done that before in the past. So I think uh, <laughs> I think Lanning's qualified, if nothing else. <laughs> I, he's definitely qualified to take on that job. He, and he's definitely flipped through the brochure for sure. Absolutely. He's flipping through it right now. He's, he's got an agent. He's got yeah. an agent. And I still say, and we talked about this when we went to the um, to the Alabama. Or when I went to the Alabama. I mean, excuse me, not Alabama. When I went to the Colorado versus Oregon game. Yeah. And, and this, I talked earlier to, this season. Earlier this season, when when Colorado was still undefeated, Oregon was still undefeated. Both teams were ranked, and everybody was was waiting for Dion's bubble to burst. Lanning, outside of just having a better football team, won that chess match that week against Deion Sanders, who has basically become the face of what the oh, yeah. NIL. You feel what I'm saying? So if Saban wants not much to do with the NIL, but Alabama and Saban can't really control that, hey, we cannot stop these guys from taking advantage of the NIL, and they're definitely NIL-worthy product because they're future NFL players, and folks know that they've got some of the brightest futures that this whole entity of college football has to offer – Maybe you have to go get a guy who is a lot more willing to lean into the NIL. And the way that Danning went, Lanning, excuse me, went head to head with Deion Sanders and what I call a, a chess match between the two head coaches outside of what was clear and evident on the football field that Oregon was just better. Lanning won that. He won that. So I think on so many levels, Dan Lanning is qualified to be the head coach at the University of Alabama. So Oregon do be scared because <laughs> the job's now available. Yeah. And again, it's not like this isn't a story we haven't seen before here as, as folks that have, you know, been locked in with University in, of Oregon football in whatever capacity that may be. So I think it's a big deal, man. I think Oregon fans <laughs> certainly are on the edge of their seats, as, and they're going to watch how this thing's going to play out. And if Dan Lanning is is going to jump ship, and it would be hard to blame him from a business standpoint if he did. And so I think it's an interesting time period, obviously, with, with saving one of the GOATs retiring, but also seeing the transformation and where things are headed with college football right now. Who's going to be able to take that phenomenal product and also pair it with the NIL and and try to c- continue to you know stay dominant in in college football ultimately. Um, we had an interesting experience on Monday. Hard pivot. You and I got to go to WWE, and I loved it. It was yeah, a it was, tight. it was a childhood bucket list 
yeah. moment for me. <clears throat> I was a huge WWE fan growing up. I had all the action figures. I had the ring. I didn't miss Monday Night Raw. I didn't miss Thursday Night SmackDown. I was all in. But it's been about 20 years or so since I've been all in. But I clearly know that that part of my life cannot be forgotten thanks to the WWE. Everybody got down with the WWE. Flat out. Flat out. So now as I approach my 31st birthday, I'm able to go to a WWE match and – Witness WWE here in Portland, and I brought my guy Spencer alongside because that's my guy, first and foremost. And second of all, I knew we would be Which able to sit outside. here and talk about yeah. it right here on this podcast because this is just what we do. I want to know what it was like for you because, like I said, for me, childhood bucket list yeah, moment. absolutely. Super dope to be able to have that experience on my birthday week. Bro. I loved it. Man, when I was a kid, man, me and, you know, my brothers and my sister, my mom and my dad – Every Monday night and sometimes SmackDown, we would go and all pile onto their bed. Real little kids. Everybody pile onto the bed and watch wrestling. Yeah. And had all the figures, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Just That's how we got down. Yeah. You know, we were big-time WWF got, uh, people. And so being able to see that. And like I said, they still they still have that. Like from, from, the, from getting on the max to cross the bridge. Remember that? We were sitting that we, we – because we were, we were running late and we, the max is coming, so we just book it. And we get in there, and everyone's looking at us like, huh, I wonder what these guys are going to do. It's pretty obvious we're going across to the Boda Center. And yeah. there's those two dudes and their mom. Yeah. And they're sitting there, and I can see them just looking at us. Yeah. Like this. And then. You said oh, raw. I said raw. And then and we heard and that then raw. They, and he just goes, raw? You guys are going to raw? Yeah. And we're like, hell yeah, we're going to raw. And they couldn't wait to tell us about their favorite wrestlers. Yeah, because I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. Yeah, we I, had to ask. Like, we really I, dug in, bro. Like, I didn't know anybody, anybody so much. So this is how I know, man, 31, I'm getting up there. This is how I know I'm getting older because – I was more excited about the ads in between the matches because I would because I haven't oh, been following. I'm learning about <laughs> documentaries that are out on Peacock of wrestlers that lame, I grew man. up watching. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, like that's how much I didn't know the wrestlers that were out there like that. I'm like, oh, Kurt Angle got a documentary on Peacock. Oh, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding? Nah, but you know what though? It, it, they marketed it perfectly to our generation. They, for they sure hit you did. with them docs. And sure I noticed did. that I mean, most of the people that were there were And I didn't even like Kurt Angle. <laughs> but no, I, I he's a part like, of that I, era. I didn't like Kurt Angle as a character, but as like a worker, like oh, yeah. as he was, yeah, he, was he, he was elite. He was elite. He was elite. Yeah, for sure. For sure. One thousand percent. And you know what? That the athletics in that shit were, was elite too. That the they athleticism is it. serious in there. You, uh, you can't just get up and go do some of the acrobatic shit that they was no doing, chance. even if it was a little fake, and they had great sound effects. The athleticism still very much so stands out. Those were elite athletes Yo, out there. I'll tell in you that what ring. wasn't fake when that tag team match happened and them two girls got on the top on the top turnbuckle and then yeah. she did a handstand yeah. on her shoulders and then flipped and laughed. I'm like, yeah, that's not that's, fake. That's not dog. fake, dog. <laughs> you gotta really get up <laughs> there not, and do that. That's not fake at all. I was and there were moments where I was going like, oh shit, like I really hope nobody like tears an ACL or does something like a serious sports injury, because they were getting after it. And the broadcasting was cool, man. Yeah, the WWE goes hard, and I'm thinking about trying to get in on that. You know, there's, like, amateur wrestling all the time. Bro doing broadcasts for that, bro? 
That would be spectacular. It's, it's crazy that that you, would be spectacular. It's crazy that you say that because for me, that was very much so a part of the experience. Just being a broadcaster was just being able to kind of take in and learn that product from that standpoint, um, paying attention to the broadcasters down, you know, and how they're obviously the energy they have when they're on the call, but seeing how they're actually interacting with the wrestlers themselves. Um, you know what I'm saying? The in arena host who's like, I'm paying attention to all the elements of the product, especially that I can relate to especially from the being production. A from the production standpoint, you know what I'm saying? Like that I can relate to, especially as a broadcaster myself, I was able to learn a lot, and I, I took a lot of notes, mental notes, if you will, about things that I want to do and incorporate and in what I do as a broadcaster right now today, just translating it into what it is that I'm broadcasting for. Obviously, basketball primarily, but how do I take elements of this great entertainment product that so many people have come to love and be able to kind of do that for the product that I'm a part of? Being a part of, of the NBA G League, being a part of, you know, NCAA Division One college basketball, NCAA Division Three college basketball. How do I take those elements to help buffer the the products that I'm a part of? And, and there was a lot to glean from the WWE and how it is that they've been able to sustain as an, an elite entity in entertainment for a really, really long time. Yeah, dude, in the history of like wrestling, and yeah, just, you know, it's been it's a, crazy. It's a really, it's, really long time. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean, and even like coming up with the product, like they're really good at selling a story, man. They, yeah, they got they are. It. They, they got it. Like a decades <laughs> long story. I'm like, dang, they you guys got are it on it, man. They got it. They got it. No, it was super dope, man. Like I said, I, my inner child certainly came out. I'm was, really gonna hit up more wrestling. Yeah, I think I've I think I've like in a way reconnected to it. I tell people all the time, man. It's it's not about the brand itself. It's about the love for the for what it is that you are doing, and and whether it's you know WWE or some amateur wrestling going on right here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Like, if you really love and enjoy that, like you can grow with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can go to amateur wrestling and go say, hey, man, have you ever thought about broadcasting yeah, any of these exactly. things and be able to just be like, oh, no, we haven't. That. Let me get in on that. And you can create your own position majority of these times yeah. at these levels that might not sound like the cool levels, but you're growing within yourself and being able to get the reps and, and strengthening your own craft because you're not just jumping in ready to call WWE or be a part of the WWE anyway. So you got to have a place where you can kind of grow and 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 find who you are in this space but also to be able to grow with the space as well at levels that may be smaller and it'll ultimately reverberate throughout you know what i'm saying it'll rever it'll reverberate all the way to the top the same way the top reverberates right back down to the bottom so i i think man it's it's i would if i'm you and you're that interested in like and you are that inspired to, well, to I mean, I just commentate do, other I things just, I and wrestling may be things. one of those things. I say go. That's how you do it. I that's the that's, formula. <laughs> you know, we just gotta you know we gotta com commentate on all the sports. I, I, I think I, I think yeah. it's totally cool. Like there, I think that because I now, do football, I get it. Because now that anybody can like make like a companion podcast to like a TV show or a, or a sporting event. Like I mean, we're essentially doing that now and. 
like the, there's that opportunity for everybody. Like it's totally viable now to be like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I can do a multitude of these things because I have access to learning from the ground up the, the production and like the, the terminology and the history of whatever sport or whatever niche, big or small sport at any level. It's like there is an opportunity there yeah, to get sure. in there and really build something out because yes. you can just grab your laptop essentially and yeah. just get to cracking. <laughs> and get to cracking. Yeah, and, facts. And, and I think that that is a great thing for broadcasting, bro, because broadcasting is so important to telling the story. Yeah, very much so. You know? It'll never go out of style. Mm-mm. Broadcasting. People be telling stories. Yeah, yeah, story, yeah, story. That's just like yeah, telling, telling stories. Storytelling will never go out of style. It's just yeah. finding it's... different mediums to do it. You know what I'm saying? And 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 how people embrace those mediums. But the art of storytelling itself, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, and and I think you know it's important to try to. I think it's important, you know, as you get into these bigger arenas, that you know you got to understand that they. You know, they put a veneer over the cultural significance and like the real like heart of the cultural significance of that medium by, you know, dressing things up with like prestige around institutions that that really takes away from the culture. But you can just still tell the story like you can't dress up the words that come out of your mouth. You know what I mean? They have to come out with the same humanity that everybody understands on like an intrinsic level. And so it's even more important to try to get into broadcasting and storytelling on these lesser known sports and mediums and in these different spaces, because, you know, it, it, it strengthens the credibility and the value yeah. of that, like inherent cultural, you know what I'm saying? Thing about broadcast and storytelling. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I agree. I agree, man. Now nah, it's it's super dope, man. The art of the art of it is just dope itself, um, and I love it. There's a list that came out, and Rolling Stone put it out about a week ago, and it is the top 100 greatest R&B songs of the 21st century. Now, Spencer, I'm throwing it to you here first because you are our resident R&B guy in terms of. Performance, it's in particular. I, I get down. I can get down with an R and B night behind behind those one, ones and twos now, but and obviously I, I'll I'll share my piece as well. But um, you saw this list. You got to kind of get into this list. Um, first of all, what'd you think about it? I, I mean, I always get. <laughs> I always am hesitant when I see a Rolling Stones list. Obviously, for good reason. But you know, I mean. At least they didn't come. Tell me more about that. Uh, well, just I mean, look at the you know you is it Rolling Stone in particular, or is it just I mean, list just, at this I, point? Well, definitely, but yeah, because you know the the people that are actually like they make up the list, the musicians themselves, and the people part of that part of it, you know, mm -hmm. they don't care. They're not making any lists. We're playing music, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you know, like at least at least they were a little bit transparent, being like, you know, we just asked our whatever our critics yeah and people we know and like yeah. we're not really trying to come up with like an exact rubric of yeah but in that they came up with a little bit of a of a way of thinking about it and i think it was about you know uh, impactful and like 
culturally significant pieces of R&B that tell the story of it becoming the most dominant, like, pop musical genre. Mm. So yeah. that that's kind of what I think that they ended up doing anyway, whether that's yeah. what they were trying to do or not. I mean, what they were really trying to do is they were trying to get people to talk about it. So success in that. But, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's 100, uh, you know. It's 100 songs, and we definitely won't go over all no, the 100. No. We'll go top 10. But, I mean, let's go. Let's let's read it off. We'll go top you 10. Got it, you got it I'll go from number 10 all the way down to 1. And remember, this is the 21st century. So this is January 1st, 2001 is when the 21st century began. So here you go. You got at number 10, Full Moon by Brandy. At number nine, Bag Lady by Erica Badu. At number eight, Ordinary People by John Legend. At number seven, Alicia Keys' Fallen. At number six, Thinking About You by Frank Ocean. At number five, We Belong Together by Mariah Carey. At number four, Be Without You by Mary J. Blige. Number three, Dangerously in Love by Beyonce. Number two, how Does It Feel by D'Angelo? And number one, Confessions Part 2 by Usher. That's a damn good top ten. That's really good top ten. That's man. a damn good. Critics or not, whoever they went to, they, they put together they a heck of a ten. The, the part that might be craziest, I think the song, I mean, you could maybe say Full Moon as well, but Full Moon is at number ten. I think Dangerously in Love by Beyonce is up too high. Number three. I think Be Without You is it should be above it, at I, least. Yeah, I agree. Least. I agree. I agree. I think it's too high. I mean, I'm I'm not mad that it's in the top ten because the vocal, I'm so in love with you. You're heavy. That, that is, that's one of them, especially to mix. Danger, as a DJ, I, I can't knock Dangerously in Love being in the top 10 because I think that's arguably one of the greatest melodies to mix that R&B has to offer. Just the, the vocal, the lyrics, you can match it with whatever whatever beat you want to mix it with, and it's a bop, straight up. So, so and it doesn't even have to. And, by the way, that goes beyond mixing it with R&B records. You can mix it with boom, bap, bop, any, like, you can mix that song with any genre of music. So I do like the fact that it's in the top 10. I just maybe wouldn't put it at number three. I mean, but that song is more than that, the, what it sounds like. It's Jay and, and Beyonce merged R&B and hip hop. Like, as like, we're the king and queen of this shit. That was that moment. This was the video. Couple that with the video, like it, you know what I mean. It's a, it's, it's a dangerous. It, yeah, but I, I just don't see. I don't see it being in top three. That's it. That's it. It's all ten songs are great songs. I love, I love, love, love the fact that Confessions Part Two by Usher is number one. I think it makes all the sense in the world. For one, Usher has been the hottest. R&B. R&B artist the in the, tw- he's the, especially in the 21st century, especially. In the 21st century. Especially in the 21st century, which is what we're talking about here. And that song, that album, and what it did for R&B broke through a glass ceiling. And I think that was the song, and, and, and obviously part of what I also love about this list is it's not just like, 
your traditional R&B records. It also weaved in a lot of Neo Soul in here as well, which I'm a big, big, big Neo Soul guy. So I appreciated the list for that because I thought they put some real solid Neo Soul cuts in this in this list that I think deserve to be there because the quality of those records are so elite, even if the impact maybe wasn't as elite because the impact just wasn't able to break through that glass ceiling like Confessions Part 2, I think, was able to do. And although it had, I guess, more of a traditional-esque R&B sound, I think the 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 substance of it and I think the contents within the song actually leaned more into what you would hear a lot of contents within neo-soul music. So, so like, sort of more of the toxicity and not the traditional, like, love song, if you will, because Confessions I, I, Part 2 ain't a love. It's know, not was, a love-making song. You know, it's I, not baby-making music. I was thinking about how to say that, like like touching on more like just a, like a more mature way of looking at the emotion of love, like the more yeah, complexity of the it. complexity of it, not not just the the, the roses. Not, you know not, what not I mean? Everything at vapid surface level. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think Neil Soda obviously does a great job of that. I think Usher was able to do a great job of that in Confessions Part Two. It just had more of an, a traditional R and B sound that was able to be a little bit more accepted by that of popular music at I large. Mean, look, and I always say it, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, man, they they were are that's basically their album too. Yeah, and. If that's you go if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And so it all makes sense to me, you know. And I I don't know a person that when you say Usher Confessions album, that they don't go, Oh yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. was I listened to that religiously. That era was unmatched. It yeah. was unmatched. I just constantly listened to that record over it was and over again. Yeah. I mean, you would listen to the you would listen to the skit at the beginning of the song. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a song that you listen to the whole skit. Into the record, He's like, what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like you stop can playing. stop playing. Tell me, now tell me you ain't playing right <laughs> now. <laughs> From the skit down to the song, down yeah, to the impact, awesome. down to it deserved to be number one. And I love that they put "How Does It Feel" by D'Angelo, D'Angelo at number two because that might be the best actual song. Period. So, but the impact, I think it was the most impactful song. Ooh. To circle it back, I think that was the most impactful song in Neo Soul. Almost for an adverse effect, that was more lovey-dovey than a lot of Neo Soul music tends to be. Like, like well, that and, was more and, of a love-making. And, <laughs> and that video, which paired the paired the video with the record where he was naked the whole time naked and, and naked he was naked <laughs> he was naked <laughs> he was he was naked and and you could see down to his pubics if you will <laughs> on the actual Damn. video on MTV that was kind of nuts back in those days <laughs> you can say you can say that twice boss <laughs> <laughs> <Pause>, huh? <laughs> that was kind of that was kind of nice, bro. That was back in those days, dog. Seeing D'Angelo pop up on the screen, the way that he popped up on that screen, it, it made every room in America awkward. Yeah. It made every room in America awkward. Like, but it was such a good song. He is such a talented musician and artist. And f- for what it's worth, like, he he had he had the look. 
You know what I'm saying? Like he had, he well, I mean, he, he had the look yeah, he <laughs> straight up. Like I'm secure enough in who I he am to be able to come on he here and cap. say the man looked good while doing it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I feel like he took Neo Soul to another level with that song, and he was able to sort of break a ceiling for Neo Soul as well. And I think. Usher was able to do it for Neo Soul and R&B at large in terms of taking it into another pantheon itself. So I think those are two really good songs to be placed at top two because yeah. I, I don't think there's there might not be a better Neo Soul record than How Does It Feel by D'Angelo, especially packaged with the visual. I mean, it's just such a great song. Impactfully, yeah, I don't think there's a more impactful Neo Soul well, song said, out there. That's why I said, like, I don't know if they were It would have to be a Lauryn Hill record if there is, but even still, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if it was going to be a Lauryn Hill record, it would still be D'Angelo. And it, nothing you Yeah, and, and Lauryn Hill's records were all prior to the 21st century. I mean, the, the, well, the, the huge record. ones. The You know, the, the record, record. Yeah, Miseducation yeah. was late 90s. It, well, was, it was in 2001. Well, so. that's why I said, like, I don't think that they were trying to – I mean, it sounds like they might have been trying to do that. And if that's what they were trying to do, I, that's I what I'm gleaning pretty, from I, I, what they've done. I think they got pretty close. If that's they what got pretty close, to. they got pretty close. So and as that's far as lists go, not bad. It's a not pretty bad good Rolling list, Stones. dog. Be without you, yeah. Thinking about you, Frank Ocean at number six, yeah. Falling by Alicia Keys was cr- ordinary people. My we're goodness, people. my goodness, oh, bag on, lady. I mean. They got, and then even if you're getting into, you know, outside of the top 10, like I said, Full Moon might have been a little high at number 10. Um, but you got 11, Adorned by Miguel, 12, Frontin' by Pharrell and Jay Z, 13, Best Part, 14, Love on Top, 15, Rock the Boat, 16, Pretty Wings, 17, He Wasn't Man Enough, 18, Cranes in the Sky, 19 is Scissor Snooze. Mm. 20 is you rock my world. It gets a little it gets a little stickier in that department than it did in the top 10. Um but I could but I could I I could see how. I could see how. I could see how for sure. But but I'm glad the list is out there. I'm glad that we sitting here talking R&B cuz I love R&B. And so um Me that's too. a big deal. Um you got any win share? I mean not win shares, excuse me. Taking L's? Oh man. I mean <laughs> uh you know, I I'll just say yeah, I I was just gonna say the Olympics. There, I won't say too much. You can say what you because you're taking L's. Well, I mean, and you can yeah get get into it. The, the well, the IOC is always taking L's in my eyes. It's you know, and I I think uh, uh, there there's a great article by Dayziron on the Nation uh, that you should probably go read. Uh, just talking more about how the Olympics sucks, and so the Olympics sucks, and taking L's is the Olympics. No further questions. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that for now. Okay, I'll leave it at that for now. You leave, but the IOC is 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 who's taking it. Just go read the today. article. Just go read the article. Okay, I, I think. Okay, I love it. I like it. I like it. Um, <clears throat> for me, who's taking nails today? Let me see where I want to go here because I didn't I didn't prepare taking L's, which I kind of like that because usually I prepare taking. Someone's L's. about to catch a stray. So, <laughs> that's what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that. Um, or not. I don't think nobody's really about to catch a stray here. Um, I think college football took an L. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, that's good. I think one. College football took an L, and and as much as. 
as much as I support this new era of it um, with NIL and all the things, I do understand that there is going to be a fight, if you will, put up by traditionalists within the space. And Saban, I think, represents traditionalists in the space more, though, than he does this new era, if you will, that, like I said, so far the face of it has been Coach Prime for crying out loud. Um, and that that is nothing. That is not me pitting Coach Prime and Nick Saban up against each other. That is me saying that college football and its tradition has been everything to its brand. Like, it's been probably the biggest element of the brand of college football is its connection to tradition. And I think – Tradition is being challenged in a way like college football has never seen before. And in turn, they are going to try and challenge this new way of college football in a way that's going to be tough because of the impact, the influence that some of those people will have and that it may potentially even have on the business of college football itself. Who I think created that problem for itself is college football. Of course, well, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, like the NCAA, the NCAA, one thousand percent, one thousand percent. They created their own mess here, but I do think that we will start to things get messy. And I think one of the main things that can allude to that is we no longer have a Pac-12 conference. You know what I'm saying? Like we've just lost a Power Five conference within the sport. In, a, in an entire region that represents an entire region of the West Coast. And so I do believe that college football is getting ready to have somewhat of an identity crisis. And losing Nick Saban, I think, enhances the identity crisis that is about to come because Nick Saban is still very much so Nick Saban. I mean, I just don't think – look – I, I just don't think I don't I don't think that there's a, a large swath of athletes or just people in general that look at playing college football and go, I should be in a penthouse like Caleb Williams. But nobody thought but nobody's going, oh, I deserve to not have enough money to eat when I can see you guys are all eating. I agree. I'm so a, it's I'm, like I'm you're with you. and, and that you made your own bed. Yes. So, so and and again, you, you're going to be fine because you have, quote unquote, one hundred and twenty million dollars. But, you know. It's gonna have to change. It's gonna, it's have, to gonna have to change. And, and change and is not, not always and easy. If you don't want to be there, then you take your quote unquote one hundred and twenty million dollars and just keep it pushing. Change isn't always easy, and you got to crack an egg to make an omelet. I think college football is about to be in the cracked egg stage. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I think college football is about to be in the cracked egg stage, but I do ultimately think the ingredients to make the omelet is is things like the NF the NIL that's definitely a a primary ingredient in being able to make the omelet whole at the end of the day all right fine um, if if that's what comes first if I it's think the there's egg, more ingredients to be egg, added. Well, though. you know what they say if if we figured out which one comes first, we know which one comes next, the chicken. <laughs> so, you know. For sure. For sure. So, so I do think that. I do think that. I still obviously think there's flaws in the in the way that college football players get paid or actually don't get paid, I should say, because they aren't getting paid directly from the NCAA. They're able to get paid for their own name, image, and likeness. They just happen to play in the NCAA, who doesn't give them a dime for it. Um, so I think there's still other ingredients to be added. But I do think NIL was was the primary ingredient. Like you said, the primary ingredient of an omelet is an egg. So 
The chickens are about the to chickens gotta go. <laughs> we need chickens next. That's what comes next. It's egg and then chicken. So we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. On that note, we're gonna leave y'all the only way to think that we know how, and that is to stay woke and, and go, go win. win.